listening to the Business of Baking podcast with Michelle Green, the small business podcast that's all about successfully running your own sweet food company without losing your mind. If you've ever brought dessert to a party and been told you can make a fortune selling those, then you're in the right place. This is an honest, straight-talking podcast about the highs and lows of being in small business. Fueled by late nights, crazy client stories, and a permanent sugar high, we're going to listen, share, and learn our way to sweet business success. Here's your host, writer, speaker, recovering cake decorator, and incurable sweet tooth, Michelle Green. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Business of Baking podcast. It's Michelle. Not that it would be anybody else. And really, I have to find a new intro other than saying it's Michelle. It's not ever going to be anyone else. So I don't know why I always introduce myself as though it's going to be some other person. Although there is the possibility of having some sort of like guest host. Until there is, it's just always going to be me. Today's episode is very dear to me because I feel like I have been chasing this woman down for quite some time. She's a little bit hard to catch because she's a busy, amazing woman. I'm really, really proud to be introducing you to my friend and student, Melissa Kelly Hill. She's from the 12.5 Cakery, which is registered in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And I'm excited for a number of reasons. Firstly, I love introducing you guys to people who I know personally and who I have had the great pleasure of teaching and somebody who I now am very proud to call my friend, but also because I think she has a really distinctive artistic point of view, which I don't have. So I want to know what the secret to that is. And I'm sharing her story, or she's going to be sharing her story more accurately today for a couple of reasons. I wanted to interview her, one, because I find her massively inspirational and incredibly amazing. Melissa, stop crying. All right. I haven't even gotten through the intro yet. (laughs) And also because she has a distinct artistic point of view, but in a small town and, or in, in two small towns, which I'll tell you about in a second. And that's something that is often a point of discussion for my students and the people I speak to like, oh, it's all right for you city slickers in New York city and London and whatever, you know, you can sell things for a million dollars, but us here in, you know, small town America or small town, whatever, can't do that. And she is making it work. She's really at the beginning of her journey of owning a shop front. But I thought she could share with us a little bit about that small town thing. And just as proof that it actually is a small town, I did my Googling and her shop is located <laughs> kind of between Hattiesburg and Petal. And Hattiesburg has 46,000 people in it and Petal has 10,000. So we're not really talking huge numbers here. And yet if you go and look at Melissa's work, which I sincerely hope you do, you will see that it has a very, very distinct, certainly what I would call a big city kind of couture style to it. And so I'm really curious to hear how she manages to sell that in a small town in Mississippi. So welcome to the show, Melissa. Yeah, I'm here. Woo! Wow. (laughs) That was a fancy intro. Yeah. Did I make you sound better than you think you are? Yes, I'm so fancy. (laughs) All right, I do have to also warn you that I have this really bizarre habit of taking on other people's accents. So if by the end of this, I stop sounding American and Australian and I end up sounding vaguely Southern, I apologize in advance. I'm not making fun of you. It's just, I can't help it. It's one of the things. So you are actually pretty fancy, I have to say. I think you're fancy anyway. So tell me the story of 12.5. Like when I first met you, it wasn't in a shop front. It was at home. So tell me about your story and how 12.5 kind of came to be and and where it is now. Okay. We'll try to condense this down. (laughs) But I used to run, or I was a retail manager for like 13 years. And throughout that, 
I kept going back to baking things for my team. I always tried to boost morale and I used to run logistics teams and we would have to be at work at 3.30 in the morning and do a lot of hard labor and run around and it was crazy and it's really hard to motivate your team <laughs> for four o'clock in the morning to meet goal times and work hard. So I used to do birthday cakes for my team members and then it was all simple box cake mix just like throwing things together. I didn't know what I was doing, but I used to surprise them with stuff. Like one time I did an unbirthday party and I got there at three o'clock in the morning and I had made like 50 six inch round cakes. <laughs> and Sorry, I didn't know what I was doing. 50. They were a little like two inch tall tiers, but yeah, I didn't know what I was doing. And I used to wall with buttercream and I had made all these little decorations so they could be surprised on their break at six o'clock in the morning. Damn, I want you and they as got boss. to <laughs> they got to decorate their cakes, and this is like you know grown adults <laughs> decorating their cakes with sprinkles. And anyway, so that's how it started. And I don't know, I just wasn't going anywhere in retail. It wasn't fulfilling, doing the same thing over and over again. And I had to find something that was creative that I could make. And people started asking me for cakes. Like, that's how most people get into it. So I started making them for orders. And I was like, maybe I could do something with this. I always wanted to own my own business. So it just kind of was like, well, maybe this will be what it'll be for now. <laughs> so that's how it works. That's how it started. And so you're working in the, in the retail logistics sector. And so do you just get up and quit one day? Oh, no. I worked full time in retail in management and took a demotion, but still worked full time. And then I worked full time at a bakery also. So pretty much no sleep. I would work overnight at the bakery and then go straight to work at four o'clock in the morning in retail. So two full-time jobs. Two full-time jobs. And you're also a parent, we should say. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. All right. So we're working two full-time jobs. Because apparently sleep is un overrated. <laughs> oh my lord. Okay. You can, I didn't actually you can sleep know this. when you die. <laughs> yeah, apparently. I didn't know this part of the story. So this is like fascinating to me. Okay. So we're working two full-time jobs. And so at the bakery, what were you doing? Like, how did you get a job in a bakery? Just say like, hey, I like to bake. Oh, that's a crazy story. So there was an event manager here. I forgot about this, but there was an event manager here in Hattiesburg and she decided to put on a cake show. And I was like, oh, you know, when you first get into cakes, you think you can do everything. So I was like, oh, I'll do this cake show. It was like, make a wedding cake. Never made a wedding cake in my life. I actually met Duff, your family. And yeah, my cousin. <laughs> cousin Duff. <laughs> so I did this wedding show and I was right next to a table from a lady that owned a small bakery in Hattiesburg, but they had been in business like 20 plus years. They were like the mom and pop bakery in town. Mm -hmm. And so I met them. She was impressed. And one day I just emailed her and I was like, I'll come sweep the floor or wash dishes or whatever to get my foot in the door. And they were like, we don't have anything available. And then within a month or a few weeks, they emailed me and were like, one of our top decorators is leaving. Do you still want to come? Like, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I'll do anything to get my foot in the door. It was supposed to be part-time, but 
that's just not how it worked there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it wasn't. It was part-time in their imagination. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just work till it's done, right? So, yeah, yeah. so that's how it was. Their decorators worked overnight. And so that's, it worked perfectly for me because I could go work overnight and then go straight to work in retail, which I would have made it work whatever. But well, I think that's one of the things about owning a small business is you kind of have to have that I'm going to make it work attitude, right? And so you had that before you even started 12.5, right? You kind of want to, I'm just going to make it work. I want this to happen. So I'm just going to have to make it work. That's it. Yeah. Well, I thought I wanted my own business in baking, but I wanted to go experience it before just doing it. Because I, I mean, I knew from retail, there's so much that goes into that. And I really didn't know what went into running a bakery, but I needed to at least try it before yeah. I just jumped. Which I think is why it's not possible for everybody, but I think it's actually a wise move. And, you know, I often say, you know, you've heard me say, like, when you go to hire somebody, you know, hire somebody who has some experience of being around food or a kitchen or whatever, because whatever little experience they have, even if it's as a waitress, whatever, they have at least some idea about how unromantic the food industry is. So I think that probably served you really well, you know, because you had both the retail experience and now you had the bakery experience, right? So. Right. You know. Yeah. Oh, so, absolutely. So how long did you work two full-time jobs for? <laughs> maybe two years, maybe a year and a half. Maybe I kind of went down to part-time before I left retail. They didn't demote my pay. So I took advantage of that. And then I just finally just had enough of my situation there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired just thinking about it. Okay. <laughs> so you kind of slowly made your way out of the retail sector. Yeah, it was kind of slow, but the bakery I was at was opening a second location. And so I just jumped on that. It was a newer location that was like the building they were originally in was really old. So it was exciting that I was going to get to go to a new place and potentially manage it. So I was like, hey, I'll go. <laughs> yeah. And then I tried to get them to hire me as the manager there, but I don't blame them <laughs> for not doing that at first. Oh, <laughs> so when you went to the second store, it was just as a normal employee, yeah? It was, but I was the only decorator at night. So they thought they were going to open a second location and only take like simple designs. And it was actually a nicer neighborhood. They didn't know what they were doing. I learned a lot about not knowing, like, I learned what not to do there. <laughs> yeah, well, I need valuable lessons too, right? <laughs> yeah, I ended up being like the sole decorator there and then eventually managed it. Right. So we get rid of the retail job. We're now working, we're working full time at the fancier location of the bakery and then <laughs> but still overnight, right? Like still night shift or whatever. It was and then we flipped it. We ended up switching the decorators to daytime and the baker at night, which when you have one baker and four or five decorators kind of makes sense to move them to daytime. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So you're working there at the bakery, you're decorating all the time, <laughs> but in this, like during that time, were you taking your own orders or was it just, yep, no, I'm working for somebody else. That's it. Like, were you still doing your own like side experimenting or making stuff for other people? Or was it just like, man, I'm so tired. I'm only working for other people. That's it. I did a few orders that they would not take. 
Like they didn't mind me taking things that they would not take at the bakery, like something more fancy or right. things like that. So I did things like that, that I, but anything I could refer to that bakery, I definitely referred to the bakery because I mean, well, it's keeping you employed, right? So yeah, you know, makes sense. Loyalty. So you're working full time at this bakery as the only decorator in their second location. And so, but you're not unhappy, right? Like it seems to be working, right? Yeah, it seems to be working. And then I feel like at some point it stopped working. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, <laughs> sorry, you're having to like walk me through it. No, uh, uh, and yeah. Then I'm like, and wait a minute. Then, and sorry. then the fridge blew okay. up. No, I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> All no, right. Just a parting of ways. You know, sometimes things just don't work out. You don't see the business eye to eye. It's just the way it is. I think sometimes we emotionally outgrow a job. I think a lot Definitely. of times that and like, you know, the owners have their way of doing things and you, as you go along and as you can see things that could be better or could be different or whatever, you know, it's really, it's really hard as an employee to kind of be sitting in this place where, you know, every day, and I don't know if this happened to you, but it has certainly happened to me a lot where I'd be working and every day I'd be like, man, if only I ran this place, like <laughs> everything would be different, you know? And you, you get to a point where you realize that they're not going to, evolve beyond where they've evolved and it just starts you know i think you sort of get like an internal mental itch about like do i really want to stay here anymore for me personally i think that has been every job i've ever been at i'm always like wait we could do more we could do more we could do more Mm. and then i really got burnt out of doing more (laughs) and then once you work for yourself like that's wide open the do more is like there's absolutely zero limit to what you could do, mm. which is overwhelming. Yeah, I was going to say, which on the one <laughs> hand presents such freedom and on the other hand, you know, is not, you know, that kind of open expanse is, yeah, overwhelming, but also, I don't know, we'll get to that. Okay, so you decide to leave the bakery. Yep, you're done. Yep. I did that. I trained a replacement. I ended up going and work, going back to working overnights and doing like all their cooler stock because we were selling a lot of pre-made cakes. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there was one night I did like 90 something cakes, which of course I don't have to bake them, but that's just decorating. And I mean, I would just like beast mode cakes every night. Beast and mode. I told, <laughs> I thought I was like, I'm going to go like, I'm going to train a replacement And then it was like month after month, holiday after holiday. First, it was like, I was going to leave in January. Oh, Valentine's coming up. Let me get you guys through Valentine's. Then it was like, oh, no, May is really crazy busy because Mother's Day and graduation. Like, Let me get you through that. And then October comes and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go. I'll give you 30 days notice. I've been here almost a year, like giving you my notice. I'm going to go now. (laughs) That is hilarious. Okay. Yep. So it takes a year to actually resign. I love that. Do you know how often I hear that though? I hear that literally yesterday I interviewed someone who left her job and then like a month later or something, they called her and they were like, can you come back? And she's like, all right. And she ended up their friend for like two years. So I think it's a very common thing. All right. So after a year of resigning, you finally resign. But to go to what? Oh, well, you know, I just thought I was just going to come out of the gate swinging. I was going to do this. Yeah. I didn't know what to do. So I started working from home. (laughs) It was October. (laughs) 
I I quit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You quit. I quit October 23rd. (laughs) That was five years ago this year. Okay. (laughs) Happy anniversary. Yep. Thanks. Then I remember in January, I was like, what am I going to do? Like, I don't even know what happened to December and November. I have no idea. But I do remember January, like, making all these lists. Like, I just was so confused. Anyway, I was just taking orders, man. Like, I had my Facebook page. I was cottage law. Wasn't really supposed to be on Facebook. But I didn't know how else to operate. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, nobody better. does. You know? <laughs> well, no. I mean, you know, we can laugh about it. But the truth is, it's the easiest like you know we see other people doing it so it seems like and it's not wrong by any means but we're like oh what do i do i guess i'll open a facebook page okay and it takes, <laughs> it takes like 30 seconds or whatever and so it makes perfect sense to do it that way because it's easy and it's fast and we see other people doing it and you know i think a lot of times we just jump and then we just figure the rest out as we go along right so yeah <laughs> so okay but so you left the bakery eventually with the intention to make this your business yeah that was the plan right that was the plan but I had no like financial like this is how much I need to sell this is how much you know like nothing okay I mean (laughs) I just had enough emotionally I had enough yeah okay so that's where you spent November and December I think it's just recovering is probably (laughs) and so January you're like yep here I am million lists cottage law doing this from home and away we go that's it. <laughs> yep, that's pretty much it. And just taking orders. And then I took as many orders as I could take, like, you know, just trying to figure it out. I didn't know. I also taught myself how to bake because when I worked at the bakery, they didn't do like fully scratch. And I really wanted to do scratch baking, not putting down mixes at all, of course. It's just something that was dear to me to do scratch baking. Yep, sure. So I had to teach myself how to do that. <laughs> And that took a lot longer than I thought it would. <laughs> but yeah, because, and then just because the stuff you'd been making for your workmates had been mostly box mix and stuff, right? So you hadn't really had an opportunity to try all that stuff out. Right. right. And mostly at the bakery, I decorated. And even when I was manager, I mean, I did a lot of decorating. That was just what I did was decorate, decorate, decorate with buttercream. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of experimenting going on. A lot of friends and family eating cake, I imagine. Yep. Oh God. Okay, I love this. Let me go open. It. No, you know what I love about it is like when we all look back at our road to business ownership, like the amount of stuff we did not know is almost—I don't know what the word I want to use is, but like I want to say embarrassing, but it's not embarrassing, right? It's just like how, like, where did you come to the mental space where you're like, yeah, I should open a bakery, but I don't know how to bake, like. Yeah. Like, right but it, at the time it would have seemed i'm sure totally logical and normal like <laughs> it would not have seemed out of the ordinary to just be like yeah i'm gonna do this now you know like i would have just seemed okay it's only afterwards that you look at it and you're like mm, all right maybe i failed to do the basic part <laughs> hilarious right but, but i mean it's at the time it seemed normal it seems perfectly okay yeah because I, I mean really when i look back and i'm like how much i actually baked when i worked in retail it was like few and far between like what was i thinking 
I don't, I don't know. I don't know, but you made it. Okay, so you you open a bakery, then you learn how to bake. Okay, great. And you're taking orders. Okay, great. And we're existing on Facebook. I'm assuming that was about it, though, right? It was like just Facebook. That's it. Yeah, it was All Facebook. Right. And then you're kind of like at this point, you're also still raising a kid and have a family and like living a life, right? So yes, and love all I that think, going on. Well, that's when I think all the emotional stuff happened. Like, I mean, really, like when you're sitting at home and you're like, you don't know what you're supposed to be doing, but you're supposed to be working, and you're all of a sudden not bringing any money to the family mm. and figuring it out. Then you have all of the, oh my God what is my self-worth and what am I? And (laughs) like, I don't know. I feel like I spent four years just like, I don't know, figuring out who is Melissa Kelly Hill (laughs) because all this time I just worked like even in retail, I worked and worked and worked. I mean, even in hourly jobs, I might've worked off the clock a lot and did extras and did extra for my team or did team building events. And I never really stopped to say, you know, like I never just stopped. Like, I don't know. Well, I think that's most people's experience, right? You like grow up, you go to high school or whatever and then you go to college or not and then you get a job and then you raise a family and like that's kind of it like I think that's the normal order of things you just work right I don't know that there's any I don't know how many people actually spend that time figuring out who they are you know I think the majority of human beings at least those in first world countries you know probably just grow up work and that's it raise a family, whatever. I don't know how many people, I wonder actually how many people stop and think about who they actually are beyond their jobs or their families or whatever. You know, I wonder. I I think it hits people when they retire. They go, oh, now what? (laughs) I mean, I don't know. Or when their kids leave the house or something. Yeah. I felt like it was like that. Like, I mean, it's like everything I was was just gone. Like, oh, then what? Yeah. Well, now what do I do? Nobody's telling me what to do. I don't have to be anywhere overnight. You know, all this kind of jazz, right? Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, you I got up- a lot of anxiety when I worked from home. Like I, first of all, it's stressful working from home. But secondly, like, especially when I'm used to being gone 50 to 60 hours a week or more when I work two full-time jobs and, you know, like being home all the time it's stressful (laughs) even though it doesn't seem like it would be it is (laughs) Mm. and I had some panic attacks which is weird because I'm like I always thought panic attacks were like not legit until I had them (laughs) yeah that's well thank you for saying that actually because I think it's one of those things that when you've not experienced that kind of thing it's really easy to go oh those people are just having a moment (laughs) you know or whatever yeah but no, panic attacks and anxieties is a major thing, right? And it happens to a lot of people. And sometimes it's just situational. You know, you can have a panic attack once and never again in your whole life, you know, or you can have them a lot or whatever. And I think one of the reasons it happens when we're working from home is about that thing 
you know, what's my purpose now? What do I do now? How do I, you know, and you don't know what to do and you don't know where to go next and you don't know what the next steps are. You're just flying blind, right? It's like your whole life until then, you knew where to be at what time and people told you where to go and what to do and suddenly no one's telling you anything. And then what? Like, it's (laughs) kind of terrifying. Well, it's pretty scary, right? Because nobody tells you what to do. Nobody tells you how to bring the money in the door. Nobody tells you anything. Suddenly, everything has to be figured out by you all the time. So, you know, that's a terrifying thing. (laughs) It really is. I know. It is terrifying, but it seems so silly because it's like, well, just make a decision. (laughs) Oh, if only it was that easy. So you're working from home, kind of taking orders, sort of figuring it out, having a little bit of a mental crisis at the same time. And then what happens? Well, I mean, I just kept working at it until I got shut down. <laughs> yep. 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 And, that's another, that's uh, another thing people think is not legit. That's 100% legit. That happens all the time. Yes. Pay attention, listeners. You will get shut down by the health department. It will happen. <laughs> yeah. No, you know what? I'm not joking. The number of people who are like, Michelle, that never happens. I'm like, no, I have seriously heard of this happening. You know, I mean, not tons, but I've definitely heard from probably at least six or seven people. And it's not, oh, this happened to my friend. No, I heard it from the person that happened to, including you. So there you go. So yes. were you just, so tell me a little bit about that. So were you just like working one day and like, <laughs> I'm in my head, I want like some sheriff in a big hat to like come to the door. <laughs> not the door. Oh my gosh. Well, I was in the shower getting ready and getting out of the shower and I heard the doorbell, but it's like, you know, I wasn't dressed and I'm like, who comes to my house? Like, I don't answer the door. I'm a cop's daughter. You don't answer the door unless you know who's at the door. So like, I didn't answer the door. And then I got a phone call and it was the health department and she had come to my house, my house. Like, I just couldn't believe she came to my house. Was she wearing a hat? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I never actually met her until last year but so she shut me down and basically she wanted to know what I was making which I was following all the rules except I was on Facebook okay so wait 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 let's just repeat that so you were following all the rules except except one one, which was (laughs) that you were advertising on Facebook Yes. So, or existing on Facebook, probably not even advertising. So it's not like she shut you down for actual health violations. She technically shut you down for violating cottage law, I guess. Yes. That's more accurate, right? That is accurate. There you go. And how did she even find you on Facebook? Like, were they looking? Did somebody report? Do you know, actually? I don't know who reported me, (laughs) but someone reported me. She confirmed that. Because, I mean, she basically told me that a lot of people are violating it. She knew that. She's very well aware of that. But when someone is reported, they have to investigate. And so someone turned me in. So she shut you down with no warning? Like, did you have like, you know, did she say like, hey, you can close your Facebook page? Like, or was it literally like, nope, you have to cease trading right now? Yeah, it was cease and desist is in the mail as of today. So, yep, that was it. I was like, well, what do I do if I have wedding cake orders? And she was like, you cannot take any more orders. So she didn't tell me I couldn't finish them. <laughs> but right, she was okay. like, so you could, well, no, that's an important distinction, right? So you could keep the ones you had. You simply couldn't acquire any new ones. Correct. Right. Which is fair. Like, I actually think that was kind of nice of her because in reality, she could have been like, no, sorry, bye. 
Right. <laughs> yeah, oh, she could have been really rude. And I think she was expecting me to be really rude. But it was very civil. It was very nice. She was very nice. I don't envy those health inspector guys. Well, that's got to be a rough job, right? You're basically telling somebody you're out of business now. Right. It's not exactly easy. Right. Well, you know, I think I was, I'm not like trying to be egotistical, (laughs) but I think that because of the way I was presenting my brand online, it really looked like I was very, very successful Mm -hmm. for my area. Yep. And that's what did it. One of my competitors or whoever was just like, oh, she's making tons of money. She's doing tons of cakes, which was really not the case. <laughs> well, you know, the truth is we don't know what was going on in that person's head, you know. Right, right, right. That's true. Whatever That's reason, fair. they felt that that was a good use of their time. But in the end, <laughs> I think we're going to learn as we go through this that she actually did you a favor, right? Oh, it's great. I'm so, so glad. Didn't feel like it at the time. I'm sure. (laughs) So the inspector comes, who is neither the sheriff nor has a hat, and says, yep, cease and desist letter. And at this point, do you just like poop your pants? Because that's pretty much what I would have done. Well, I knew I was on thin ice already. I mean, I knew that I was on Facebook. I knew it could happen. My husband was nervous about it already. We had already kind of been driving around looking at places. It was just a matter of pulling the trigger. Mm -hmm. And so I needed a shove. I needed it. It was exactly what I needed to happen. Yeah. So, yeah, so, so she did you a favor. So, yay, that lady or man or yeah. whatever that was. You know, I really wasn't mad at them, and I'm still not mad. I really was like, dang, I didn't know I had an enemy. Like, I just didn't know somebody was, like, come talk to me or. You probably don't have an enemy. You just have somebody who, you know, for whatever reason. Well, they felt they were right, probably. I mean, yeah, exactly. You know, they it's, were. it's probably not as personal as you think. Yeah, they were right. I mean, come on. I was on Facebook. I wasn't supposed to be. That's it. Well, you knew you were doing the wrong thing, and they just pointed it out. So, okay. So, you kind of knew that anyway, and so you were kind of mentally preparing to move. And so, this, so your only choice at this point, right, was, well, I'm asking, was could you continue to stay at home but just get off Facebook? Like, was that an option? In my mind, it just seemed like it would be backwards. It just right. seemed like... It was either go forward and do this or stop. And at this point, like I had to see it all the way through. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you go looking for a location, right? And did you think about like, yep, I really want to sell stuff at the front door or I just wanted to know. Like, did you know what you were looking for? I knew I did not want a walk-in bakery. I knew that because I had managed people for 13 years Mm -hmm. and it is a full-time job. I mean, 24-7 managing people. I love people. I love great employees. I absolutely love them. And I love the enthusiasm and the energy of running a team. I miss that part. But (laughs) there's a lot of responsibility with running a team. (laughs) And my kid has one year left in school. So I was like, you know what, right now, it's just going to be me, the bakery, and that's it for now. So you went looking for essentially a cake studio or a baking studio rather than a retail spot, and you found one. Yes. <laughs> Yay. Well, it took from February until July, June to find something. We looked at a lot of places, and I thought I found the place, and that didn't work out, and another place. 
but the place I got is awesome. The yeah. people are awesome. It was a build out. It was like it was meant to be. Yeah. So in by June, July, you're moved in there. This, this cake studio is happening. And now, like, this is a legit thing now. Like, this is not we're pretending to make cake in our pajamas. <laughs> this is a real thing now. Was that, like, just a massively terrifying thing? Or was it, you know what? This is the next logical step. Because most people, the fear they have in jumping from home to a retail, or even not retail, just commercial location, is huge. So yes, you got pushed out. Yes, you know, you had to do it, all that kind of stuff. So did you stand in that, you know, empty space and think, oh my God, what am I doing here? Or did you go, yep, this is the next step. Like how sure were you that this was the right thing to do? I would say 100%, but I, nothing's 100%, but I was sure. This is it. Like this is where I was going. Yeah. And so there you really wasn't how- any doubt. Wasn't any doubt. Okay. And so you've been there how long now in that location? Two years. Two years. So it'll be two years that I opened September 9th this year. So So you have two years now or nearly just just shy of two years under your belt in this location and looking back on it now, glad you did it? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, definitely. Yeah. And it's not been necessarily easy, but it definitely was still the right next step for you to take. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how is the business now? Still a cake studio? Oh, man, yes. Which is a very hard concept for South Mississippi. Yes. <laughs> Do people just like knock on your door all the time? Yes. And it sounds like I hate people when I say, oh, my gosh, people knock on the door all the time. But, but the whole point of opening this way was to not pay labor to go to the door. <laughs> so having flyers on the door helps a lot and there's a big sign that says open by appointment but people don't read it (laughs) people are learning and we just got another cake studio in Hattiesburg from another lady that's from another town that moved here Mm -hmm. so that's a good thing (laughs) because it helps educate people (laughs) yeah right it's not not just you anymore So, okay, so tell me a little bit about the business now. So now it's your full-time job, primarily doing celebration cakes, wedding cakes, fancy things. Every order is unique, right? So they can't just come and buy something. There's no set designs. Yeah? Yes. So it's really important that what I put online is my style because then people are attracted to that. Mm -hmm. And most people that contact me have seen my work online and are interested in getting something different. Still get lots of people that send me cakes from 2004 with, you know, hanging balls coming off of them and fondant and all that. And I just don't make any of that. So I just say no, which I know is a really hard word for a lot of people, but something about getting in the studio. Yeah. That gave me the confidence to turn that stuff down. I was already starting to turn it down. But once I got in the studio, that was it. I was like, I'm only doing Melissa style. Yeah. And so I'm really glad that you brought that up because I really wanted to talk about that. So you have a really distinct visual style. It pretty much, and I'm totally not just blowing smoke. It's unlike anything I think I've ever seen anywhere. It's really different and very cool. And sometimes I look at it and I think, man, what was that girl smoking? That is just like, (laughs) how does that cool thing come out of your head? Like, and I mean that in a complimentary way. Like I literally go, 
how did she come up with that? Like that is just, you know, crazy. I really feel like I'm operating 10% of my brain. Like as really? far as creativity. Yes. Like I had this whole vision for the front of the shop and when my kid graduates, maybe opening up two days a week and having like all these crazy funky little cakes that people can come in and buy and it just being like weird and like edible displays that you eat off of like I just have all these crazy ideas and I'm always coming up with stuff and then like the execution factor is there's just not enough time <laughs> well not yet I mean there might be in future <laughs> so you make all this like super cool amazing stuff but here's the thing like i look at the stuff you make and i think one that stuff is totally out of this world crazy amazing cool and secondly i always ask myself how is she selling this in small <laughs> well because here's the thing right you're telling me that they're coming to you with cakes from 2004 and they can't figure out the concept of a studio so i mean i gotta wonder how you are selling this incredibly amazing looking stuff to people who you you know and i'm not trying to talk down or anything but you know in a small town their tastes are generally speaking more conservative right and what you are selling is not conservative so how do you get around that i'm serious like you know small towns are hard to begin with right they're used to the mom and pop bakery that's made the same kind of cake for you know 40 years or whatever and you come along with this very funky style. How do you do it? I don't know. Well, I mean, I really do turn a lot of people down. And I also, I've really gotten to where if someone contacts me with pictures that I don't make, I say, this is what I can do for you. And either they say yes or they don't. So that's how it started was, well, my style would be this. Or they come with me with a theme and I'm like, this is what it'll look like. It'll have this cascade of edible books or whatever. and they're like, okay, <laughs> cool. <laughs> so you've really had to be very firm in your, yep, this is my style and this is what I do. Take it or leave it. Which is a terrifying yes. thing to be, to be honest, because essentially every time you say no to an order, you're kind of saying no to income, right? So that, that's a scary prospect for a lot of people. It's not just that. Like for me, I really want to have good customer service. So there's a bit of a challenge of, is it my ego driving that or am I protecting my brand or I don't know. Like it's hard to turn people down when they want something that I don't make because I want them to be happy, but I have to let them go like, cause they're not going to help my business grow where I want it to go. Yeah, and in the long term, they're not the right people for you, right? Because what you're building is a business that has a distinct style and does funky stuff like edible displays and whatever. And you, it's kind of hard to be both that person and the person making, you know, I don't know, Cookie Monster Cakes or what, you know, whatever it is that they're asking for. So, but I, I think that's really admirable that you really had to go on, you really had to say, this is what I do. And if you like it, great. Welcome to the family. And if you don't, that's okay. I'm going to pass you on to somebody else. Yeah. And I do that. I have a list of people that I pass people on to so yeah. that it's really easy for them to find somebody. And I'm not just saying, Oh, no, see ya. And so have you had any, given that the style is pretty amazing, like, have you had any backlash? For, like, I'm hoping you wouldn't, but have you had any backlash where people have gone like, what is that? Oh yeah. I've had a few people like make online comments and say, that's a mess. And I just delete it. I mean, I respect their opinion. Every, art is subjective but it doesn't need to be on my page <laughs> and well 
really. <laughs> you know, I mean, believe, whatever. That's what I always say. Like, you know, have a moment to send that person a bit of love and then be like, yeah, okay, see you, bye. Okay, so, so tell me about this. So I guess the way you've gotten around the whole style thing is to just be firm and say, this is my style. This is what I do. You know, you stick into it and it's working. So, but what about price? Like the stuff you make is highly detailed lots of small moving parts not actually moving but like lots of small parts intricate detail just i do have a moving cake coming up oh okay <laughs> just some like really cool stuff <laughs> but again in a small town you know socioeconomically not everyone can afford that kind of super funky stuff so how do you get around the price point of it too well i mean i do get a lot of people that contact me that want something i make and i have like pricing online i mean my website is super simple it's been on the list for like two years to make it awesome but there is definitely basic pricing on there so they know what the minimum price they're getting into but which is 135 is on the average minimum price which is kind of low but it's a small cake and that's high for around here Mm -hmm. but i think because my stuff's been different they're willing to spend it I think I have good word of mouth Mm -hmm. and I also, a lot of times I will find they might say they need 50 servings, but once I present them with how much 50 servings is, and then I say, this is the smallest two-tier cake I make, then they'll just get something special to get something special, even though it's not big enough. Yeah. So you get over the price thing with the design basically right? I guess that's the end. I don't know. <laughs> well, no, I, I think, well, that's just it. People will pay more for something different or something that's truly unique or truly special or whatever. But that's true in any industry, right? Clothing, shoes, you know, whatever. We pay more for the things that we can't just get off the grocery shelf, right? Because if you could get it off the grocery shelf, you would. And if that's what you wanted, that is what you would get, right? So that's interesting that people will compromise size for specialness. specialness yes, for- they will. Yeah. Okay. So, but I think it sounds like what's happened over these last couple of years is a fair amount of education. So yes, you live in an environment where it's a small town. People might not have as much money. People aren't used to seeing these funky things, but after two years of sticking to your guns and saying, this is what I do and this is what I charge. It sounds like the tides are kind of turning in your direction, right? And they're finally getting it now. Like, oh, she does this really cool stuff, but really cool stuff costs. Yeah, I think so. But I will say, I have a peer here that I'm close to and there is this stigma that I'm too expensive. Ah, and okay. now that's starting to, people are not contacting me because they're scared I'm too expensive. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how to fix that yet, <laughs> but that's my next challenge right, is being okay. approachable. And you know that because why? Because somebody else has told you that or because <sighs> inquiries have gone down? Or it's just a feeling you get? Well, my peer that does more like, I don't want to say generic cakes because I don't want to put her down. She's no, very, very main, talented. Well, let's just call it mainstream. More mainstream. Yeah, designs. mainstream yeah. cakes. Mm-hmm. She's had more that, like, she sent somebody to the studio <laughs> to talk to me because she couldn't do the cake. And when she told her, well, contact 12.5 Cakery. She was like, oh, no, I heard they're too expensive. She was like, just call her. So I had that happen with a birthday cake and a wedding cake and the exact same when she mentioned my name, they were like, oh no, she's too expensive. And they hadn't even contacted me. They didn't know. And when they did, they booked me. Hmm. I think, not that you asked for my advice. Yeah. 
but let me just give it to you anyway. <laughs> my podcast, <laughs> my rules, right? No, I think the way to combat that is actually through marketing. And I wouldn't market, I wouldn't say, you know, hey, did you know we're cheaper than you think? Like, I wouldn't say that, <laughs> but I would call it out. Like, I think I would put on social media or a newsletter or whatever, like, are you worried that we're too expensive for your budget? Let me tell you, actually, we do things at this price. Like, I would call it out. Okay. Well, that sounds, I mean, honestly, it's an awesome problem to have. It's not anywhere I thought I would ever be, you know, for yeah, people to is, think I was It is a good point. If you're worried about it, I would just think that I would call it out. Like, you know, have you, you know, are the rumors true that like, I would be a bit funny about it. Be like, are the rumors true that you got to sell your firstborn to afford one of our cakes? No, you know, or something like that. And I think the key there is to be lighthearted about it and not make yourself sound cheap by any means, but just be like, you know, are you afraid to contact us because you think we'll charge you know, an arm and a leg. Well, we only charge an arm. So, you know, whatever. I think I would just call it out and see if it helps, you know? All right. Great advice. Can't can't hurt, right? It can't hurt. Okay. So do you think if you picked up your business exactly as it is now, right? The products you make, the unique style, all that stuff, and you literally lifted it up and dropped it in the middle of a big city not even that big right what's the nearest big city to you uh jackson which is about two hours north all right if you did that do you think your prices would be different like do you think you'd have more business and you could charge way more or do you think it'd be about the same you know i said jackson but technically i'm only two hours from new orleans which is way bigger (laughs) oh okay right (laughs) any of those Um, i mean I think in New Orleans, you could get away with charging more. In Jackson, not so much. They're still dealing with the same thing we deal with here. You know, there's not a lot of innovative bakers. They do have a lot more legit bakers, so there's more competition. But this, it's still like only a handful of people really doing something different. Right. And which is definitely your huge point of difference is that you just do things so differently. And so I know that you grew up in that area. You've been there pretty much your whole life, right? Right. Yep. Right. And so maybe this is a hard question for you to answer because you don't necessarily know any different, but what do you think is the pluses and minuses of running a business in a small town? Because I'll tell you what, most people contact me with only the minuses. And I think there's got to be some pluses. Surely. <laughs> I mean, I think the pluses are that you have a supportive community and that people know you and, you know, whatever. But I'm curious, like, what do you think are the kind of the good, bad and the ugly of running a small town bakery? Well, I think if you are a social butterfly, a small town can be awesome. Because everybody knows everybody. So you get in with one person and you're good with a huge group of people, especially here. Church is a really big thing. And if you go to a big church, you automatically have business. I don't fall into that category. So for me, I've always been like the oddball, the weird person. I used to wear black every day in school. So I don't have any of that. That's the biggest advantage that I see. Personally, here, there's a lot of hospitality. People are really nice. So when you win somebody over, I mean, you have them. You know, that's great. (laughs) Yeah, no, that is good. There's loyalty there, really. Yeah. And I mean, if you get involved in a community event, everybody's going to see you. So that's a good thing with a small business. But again, if you're weird like me... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you don't really know anybody, so you don't really try, like, 
I don't know. I'm not in any of those circles, but I do see it as an advantage. <laughs> yeah, right. It's, when you're in, you're in, right? But when you're out, you're also known as being out, I suppose, is what we're saying, right? Yes. But, I mean, I don't know. I've found, like, the people that have been loyal to 12.5, they're not stuck on that. Does that make sense? Well, they're the kind of people for whom that stuff doesn't matter as much, right? And right, yeah. And they're happy to look at funkier designs and a different way of doing things and... Maybe they didn't wear black all the way their whole lives, but they probably wore a little bit black, you know? You know, they're kind of willing to stretch that a little bit, I think, which is amazing. Really? Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's so funny, though, because when I first started with 12.5, I thought when I got the, the studio open that I was going to dress nice whenever I met with my clients and I bought these button-up shirts. And you know what? I just, like, this year, like, I was like, you know, I'm just going to embrace being an artist. Like, I don't... I am who I am. I mean, I'm not saying I'm going to, you know, look like a homeless person when somebody does their cake pickup, but, you know, like, I'm not stressing about that. Like, I'm just going to be me. They're coming here to get my art. They don't care what I look like. That's well, that, they care that you're, you're, you know, you're, that you're clean and tidy and well presented, but they're not expecting you to show up wearing heels is what we're saying. Right. right? Yes. Yeah. You know, I see that a lot in the cake groups. Like, if you want to be respected, you have to wear heels at your deliveries. And I tried that. It's, you know, it is not me. I have to be me. <laughs> well, the advice I usually give is just be clean and well presented and usually wear something to do with your brand. So, like a t shirt yeah. with a logo on it or an apron with your logo on it or whatever. That's all I say is don't show up looking homeless. And, you, you know, you're pretty, <laughs> you're on the road to being all right. I do. No offense against homeless people. Well, right. Sorry. Apologies to homeless people. But I think that, you know, it's about being clean and well presented. It's not about showing up with your hair done or whatever. So, you know, it would be yourself, just a tidy version of yourself. And that's it. You know? Right. I just want to say props to whoever is delivering in heels. Because who wants to be doing that? Those cakes are heavy. I know. I did try that. <laughs> that don't want to ever do that again. <laughs> no, I, I didn't even get to the point of trying it because a i think heels are the work of the devil and secondly i just those cakes are really heavy and like they are there's stairs and stuff and i'm not coordinated at the best of times so really yeah i'm not signing up for that heels thing all right so i feel like i've been disparaging this whole small town thing and it's not my intent it's just that i think when you have a smaller population in you know you just there are challenges of not as many people who often don't have as much money and who often you know are a little bit old-fashioned it's nothing bad but it is a challenge that you have to deal with every day and so i don't want anybody listening to this thinking like i'm anti-small towns or what it's not the case at all it's just that as i have often said doing business in different parts of the world means you contend with different things and the best example i can think of is for many years now, I've taught in Texas, and almost every class I go to, people tell me that their prices go up and down with the price of oil. So even if they're in a, a larger city or whatever, if the oil price drops, then you know the people around them can no longer afford their products and they have to adjust their prices, right? So that's not even small town, big town. That's just economic changes or whatever. I know that in the UK, when they announced the whole Brexit thing, same thing. A whole bunch of people suddenly panicked and weren't spending as much money. You know, there are economic you know, and socioeconomic forces at work. And then there's just population. So living here in Australia, the entire population is tiny, right? I mean, it's like, I don't even know how many it is, but not many for a country the size of the 
continental US, right? I think there used to be a statistic, I don't know if it's still true, that as many people lived in Australia as lived in the Los Angeles area. And yet we have a country the size of the lower 48. So, you know, and I will tell you that living here, things are a lot more expensive because we don't have the population. We don't have the numbers, right? And it's an island and people got to import stuff in and, you know, whatever. And so even here in a large first world country with lots of big metropolitan cities, you know, price and economic forces and whatever are an issue. And one of the reasons, I'm just going to rant now, one of the reasons I can't stand (laughs) pricing groups on social media is because people put up a picture and say, hey, what would you charge for this? You know what? Sugar in Australia is going to cost different to sugar in Hattiesburg. And also the people who are buying it in those two places are different people with different economic forces. And you just cannot compare and asking the wider internet, what would you charge for this is just a pointless exercise because everything about the process from what you pay to make it to the labor, to the people you're selling it to, et cetera, is going to be different. Right. And so by no means am I trying to disparage living in a small town, but we do have to acknowledge that that's going to be a harder sell, both from a design point of view and a money point of view. Yeah. You know, when you say that about pricing groups, the biggest thing that aggravates me in there is I can't sell unique stuff in a small town. And I'm like, are you serious? I can't get those prices in a small town. Yes, you can. You are just not finding whatever your niche is or marketing that way. Or, I mean, if I can do it here, like, I don't know. I mean, I know every town's different, but man, such a cop out. It is a cop out, but I think there's two things about that. I think one, we have to acknowledge that it's harder. It is, right? The, it is I just harder. Said that a minute ago. But I think where you have gone very right is in that you've committed. So I think a lot of the people who say, I can't sell this in a small town, nobody wants this in a small town, you know, this kind of stuff, it's because they have not fully committed. And one of the things I think is massively admirable about you is you've gone, this is my style, this is my price. I'm just going to be brave enough to keep saying no to the people who don't want either of those until eventually people are going to want what I'm selling, which is where you're at now, right? They're wanting what you're selling. But I think a lot of the people who express that it's not possible, you can't do it, whatever, it's almost they give up a little bit too early. They don't want to commit to the education process. So instead, they get a couple of knockbacks or rejections or they get a bunch of people asking for unicorn cakes or something. And they just think that they have to kind of bend to that will as opposed to them saying, nope, I am defining my future for me. Well, you know, it's hard to say no. People in this business, people don't know what you make unless you put it on the internet. I mean, how do you know what somebody sells unless they tell you what they sell? Mm-hmm. And said, why is it in the baking business? The customer comes to you and tells you what you're selling. So yeah, I don't get that either. <laughs> why the customer dictates what we sell. It doesn't make sense, right? Right. But that happens a lot with like, I mean, I did it when I work from home, you know, that's what you do. Like you kind of have an idea what you charge for stuff. And then the customer contacts you and says, I want this. They don't do that anywhere else. (laughs) Like you tell them what you sell, you know, I don't know, maybe because it's easier now. Like, because I do tell people what I sell. That's a really (laughs) good point though. Like I'm trying to think of another industry in which you go to them and say, yep, this is what you're making me. I mean, unless it's like, you know, a tattoo artist or something. I kind of can't think of anything where, yeah, now I'm stumped by this. Like, 
what other industry is there where the customer shows up and says, I want this, this, I guess maybe it's industries where people are making bespoke or one-off special unique things. That is a case where like, if I went to a dressmaker, I would bring a bunch of photos and say, you know, I kind of like this sleeve and I like that hemline and that whatever. But I also wouldn't go to a dressmaker with those photos unless I knew that they were the kind of person who did that kind of style anyway. Like, I'm not going to bring a vintage dress to somebody who does, you know, avant-garde weird stuff kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, that's an interesting... Yeah, but, you know, a dress is special. You're not going to get a custom-made dress very often in your life. But a cake, people get cakes all the time. Mm. I mean, for everything. I do think it's very challenging for the customer in this industry because it's like, I don't know, when you work from home, we have so many cottage bakeries and it's very challenging for the customer to, they have to contact you and then they have to tell you what they want and they have to, it's not easy for customers to order a custom cake. (laughs) No, no, it's not. It's really not. In fact, I think it's one of the reasons why a lot of businesses fail. They make it too hard. Yeah, you know the advice I've often given, like when I tell people after three emails pick up the phone, they look at me like I've grown twelve heads, right? When I say that, (laughs) but I'm like, part like a big part of your job is to make it really easy for them to give you money. That you know, if you are making them call you eighty five times and show up for consultations eighteen times and send (laughs) back and forth, like that's not making their lives easy. Like part of what we have to do is make their lives easy. But just just to go back to that, you know, living in a smaller place, I think. The challenges of selling at a price point, unusual products at a certain price point are going to exist when you have less population, for sure. Yeah. But they're not insurmountable problems, is what we want to say. Like, I think the point you're trying to make here is it's not impossible, but you got to commit and you got to be willing to say, this is what I do and this is how I do it. Now, the advice I've often given people is in the beginning, take whatever you can get because you're practicing you don't know what you're charging. It's all a bit messy. But over time, when you finally learn what your style is, because I think it takes a little bit of time to figure that out. Once you finally learned and figured out what that style is and what you want to make, exactly as you said, that's what you should be putting out there repeatedly. Not other random stuff. And even if you're making other random stuff, don't put that out there. Yeah. That's it. Well, and I mean, absolutely. And I've even, I hate to say this, but I haven't taken very many wedding cake orders because everybody wants, you know, plain white, whatever. It's just not, I thought that's what I was going to make when I opened the studio, but it just wasn't bringing me satisfaction in my job and joy. And now I want to make crazy wedding cakes. So I have to put them out there or I'm never going to get orders for them. (laughs) Well, that's it. You know, you're educating people as to what's possible, right? Yeah, they don't know. (laughs) Yeah, well, they don't. That's just it. Unless they see it, they don't know. And I guess one of the things about this industry is that it's extremely visual, right? And so part of that education process is saying to a customer, this is what's possible. So just the business now, it's all custom cake orders, but I know you also do make other products other than cake. So tell me a little bit about that. Well, we are in a once a month market here, which is a really cool vintage market, which I was really unsure about, but we've been there a year and I love the environment of the market. 
I'm still not sure where I'm going to go with that, <laughs> but we do cookies. Like we have some really awesome cookies that taste great. And then we have decorative cookies. I have eaten um, those cookies. And let me just say they taste amazing. <laughs> I've personally eaten these cookies and let me tell you like next level delicious. Okay. Anyway, sorry. I just thought I'd plug the whole cookie thing. <laughs> Any of you anywhere near Piddle, Mississippi, you need to get yourself some of those cookies. Anyway. Yep. Well, like when I first opened the studio, I just had this great idea. I was going to use pop-up shops every holiday. And after two, I was done. Like, I mean, after you have lots of leftover product, I'm like, it's going to take me a little time to build this until I figure out like how much to make and like where to go with that. Because I really didn't know. I mean, you know, the first few holidays, you have no idea like what you're making or how much or who's going to come. And so... We've done some pop-up shops and we did one recently with chocolate, which was awesome. And I've had a few people actually contact me and say, when are you doing that again? So that's a good sign. <laughs> that is a good <laughs> that, sign. Yeah, it's a good sign that Hattiesburg is ready for coverture chocolate. Okay, so we've got the cookies happening at the market. And so now we're into the chocolate thing. And how did all of that happen? Well, again, like, I mean, I've always wanted to have my own business. And when I, my husband and I were dating, we always... I don't know, had this fantasy of owning our own flower shop or something. I don't know. We were crazy. And we always just talked about having our own business. And then, you know, he's really practical. So he works full time and pays the bills because somebody has to. And <laughs> he always wanted to get into chocolate. And I always wanted to get into chocolate. But he is actually a, he works in a lab. He's a scientist. And so it's perfect for him. Because he likes all the temperatures and the crystallization. I just like to wing it. <laughs> I, like I just to, like to I eat like, it. <laughs> I like to eat it and I like the design part and I like thinking about it and putting it together and selling it. But the actual tempering, I just don't have any patience for that. <laughs> so but he loves it. He loves it. And it is. Chocolate making is a science. For, it's an art, but it's a science for sure. So the scientist is loving it. And so is he, he's working full time and he's part-time chocolatiering for you. Part-time chocolatiering as we decide to fit in a pop-up shop or a holiday or we just had a, like, a lady order favors. She wanted something unique. So I was like, hey, chocolates. And she got them and they loved them. So that was great. And it's just a matter of figuring out where we're going with that. He doesn't really know what he wants to do with that because he's, it's like the beginning stages for him of even thinking about it as a job. <laughs> he's still working full time. And like at the moment, he's where you were, you know, all those years ago, like, yeah, I'm going to try this out yeah. and see what happens. <laughs> so is the goal there to get him into the business full time or no, this is just like a part time fun thing for him? I want him to be happy. I mean, that's what I want. So whatever he decides he wants. I mean, I always thought he was going to end up being in the business with me. He worked in food service before he went back and finished school. So I really thought that's where it was going to go. And then at some point, like last year or the year before, I was like, well, I guess he's never going to do this. And then all of a sudden, he was like this opportunity to take a chocolate class. And then he was really excited about it. I don't know. I guess for me, like thinking about him in the business, it's, I would love it because I love sharing that with him, but ultimately it's whatever he, I want him to be happy. So. Yeah. So I guess you just have to see what happens, right? Yep. I, one of the things I've often said, well, <laughs> hilariously, I've often said, well, my parents worked together my whole life. And I often said like, you could not pay me 
no money in the world to work with my partner. They used to say that a lot, actually. And he did help doing deliveries and, you know, whatever. And now I've actually, now having met a number of couples who do work together successfully, I don't think it's about working with your partner that I don't like. I think you've got to, for me, there has to be an equality of who does what and who's in charge of what. And like, you know, even just in that really simple chocolate example, like, you know, you're really great at coming up with the ideas and the concepts, but he's all about the execution and the the scientific part of it. Like, I think if you're going to come to a relationship where you both work in a business, you have to bring different skills, complementary, but different skills to that. And I think that works a lot better. So my opinion on whether or not I'd work with a partner has changed significantly now. It used to be no way, no how. And now I think as long as it's a partnership with different but equal skills, then you're probably okay. Yeah. I mean, both people have to be very clear on what they bring to it. Like, I know that if he comes into the business at some point and I bring on staff, there we will have to have a very clear understanding of what that means. Like if I'm in charge or he's in charge or we have very different management styles. Yeah. And... <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna mean, have to decide which you use the manager, right? Yeah, which it would be me. <laughs> right. but, but I mean, I can already see that that would be an issue, and you know, like he knows that. And also, I'm a last minute person. I'm always, I use all the time up to the last minute. Always have my whole life. He is not like that. He's like, I don't want to stress. I want to be done early. So funny. Yeah, just a different way of doing things, right? Not a good or bad, just a different way of doing things. <laughs> yeah, I would really love to work with him. But again, I want him to be happy. So yeah. so what is next for 12.5? Like what is next? on? The, so you've been settled into the shop now. It's been, you know, only a couple of years. So that's still pretty early days. But you're settling into that now, doing the marketing, introducing the chocolate thing. But what, in your mind, what is the next steps for 12.5? I don't know how far to answer that. I think, again, like I really think I'm only like at 10% of my creativity and I have to figure out how to harness that. Like I have these really crazy ideas of things I want to make, but I haven't figured out if there's a market for it. And I think that's where I'm at right now. <laughs> yeah. Tapping into that, right? Like you've so much has, I think until now, you know, so much energy has gone into just establishing it, right? And yes. so now that it's a little more settled, may, hopefully now, you know, and now that you know, one year of high school left to go for your son, et cetera, maybe now all that's kind of been bedded down and maybe now is your opportunity to kind of explore that creative side a little bit more, you know, hopefully, yeah. hopefully, <laughs> man, if you're operating at 10% creativity, I cannot imagine what lives in your brain. <laughs> I think it'd be amazing. Yeah. Oh, today I made, today I made meringue garland. And I'm hoping the client buys it, but we'll see. What is a meringue? Gar what is that? I made sugar meringues and I put them on string so that they would hang. You from know how what? you used to eat? From what? You know, from the a display. Well, I had some displays that I kind of like worked it into. So I told her that she'd probably have to figure out a way to hang it. But you know how you used to have, did you ever eat candy necklaces? Yeah. 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 So kind of like that. So you'd eat the meringue off a of string. But it's kind of neat. Like I had this like really crazy idea. It's for a mermaid party. It's kind of like. <laughs> I tell you what, you're amazing. This is like amazing. I'm like, what are you going to come up with next? And so if this is 10%, 100% must just be just 
crazy amazing and i sincerely hope you do get the opportunity to increase that creativity so that the rest of us can just watch in awe and be like yep that's a creative genius at work right there that's amazing amazing Thank you so much, Melissa, for being a guest on the show today. I will ask you one last question because I'm sure there are people out there wondering, because I know I did. One of the very first questions I think I asked you was like, what does 12-5 mean? Why is it called that? Yay! I was hoping you were going to close with that question. (laughs) I know the answer to this, but not everybody else does. And it's not your birthday. So there we go. It is my birthday. Uh, I was like, let's give him some cool answer and lie. And you didn't go with it. You didn't go with it. No, but 12-5 is my birthday, but it is also Walt Disney's birthday, and Walt Disney created something out of his brain that no one could conceive of, and I don't know, like when you're a little kid and you go to Disney World for the first time and you're like, what? It's not like that now, but it used to be. I don't know. So Walt Disney is like, got a special place in my family's heart, my heart, and that's you know it. And, like, and I share the same birthday as him. So that's pretty cool. Do you know what? When I'm like, it's not your birthday. I thought you were going to like understand that I was being stupid and you were going to be like, yeah, okay. And then come up with some completely ridiculous, amazing story. But the truth is the real story is way better. <laughs> <laughs> well, I used to say like whenever I had a bakery, I would make up some random story every single time somebody asked me. So there'd be like a million stories going around, but I just can't. Well, who has the energy for that? <laughs> I know, right? Like, I'm like, after the first one, I'm like, I can't, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> so it is your birthday, but also the birthday of Walt Disney. And he was a visionary. I actually think Disney still produces some pretty amazing stuff. That Oh, yeah, definitely. But I, I do think you're probably right. They've become so commercial now that it, you know, they've probably lost a little bit of that magic. But if you've ever been to Disneyland, it's still the happiest place on earth. <laughs> except if you're me who gets lost at disneyland and it becomes the most miserable place on earth because you get lost more than once oh, it can be a lot <laughs> it, totally it can, can be a pretty overwhelming place <laughs> this is true i know you're trying to close but that is the purpose of my business is to create magic so that's where i'm headed well i think you already do that right but you're just at the start of that and now you have all this in front of you that you can still go and create so i think it's amazing Go and create magic. I actually think what we do is magic. One of the things I love about our industry is that not everyone can do it. And I think one of the coolest parts is when a customer looks at something you make and goes, oh my God, how did you do that? <laughs> you know, I think that's really amazing. You know, I, it's an e- to learn to bake and to learn to decorate is one thing, but to be an actual artist in this space is another. And I think that you achieve that really well. And I think it's just amazing. So keep on making magic, my friend. Yeah, it's nice to be part of a happy industry. Yeah, for sure, right? My, you know, my daughter wants to be a mortician. And uh, no, I'm totally not kidding. And every time I think about it, I'm like, well, you know, the world needs that too. But that's true. I don't know that I could handle it, but she has no problem with it. And the world definitely needs that too. But yes, I'm glad we're part of a happy industry too. I'd rather be part of the, the celebratory moments of people's lives, I have to say. That's the spectrum of life I want to be hanging out at. But there you go. Different strokes for different folks, as they say, right? Yep. All right, my gorgeous friend, thank you so much for being part of the show today. You are inspiring and amazing, and we're all excited to see what is going to happen next. For those of you who are curious about Melissa's business, 12 Five Cakery, I will put in the show notes 
all her various links to her website, social media, all that stuff. So you can more effectively stalk her, which is a good idea, but don't steal her cool designs because you just never <laughs> that really. But I will put all those things there so you can follow her and have a look and see what I'm talking about when I say that she makes things that are truly out of this world and just amazing to look at. She's also a total social media gun. She wouldn't, I don't think she'd ever describe herself that way, but I think that she does social media really well. So if you want an example of how to create engaging and interesting posts, that people find interesting. I think um, Melissa does that beautifully, so you should keep an eye on that. And basically, she's just an all-around cool chick, so you should check her out and her business out. And next time you find yourself in Mississippi, don't go knocking on the door because it's by appointment only. (laughs) (laughs) But feel free to call and say, like, Michelle sent me here to buy these really good cookies. (laughs) And uh, I'm sure because you said I sent you, she'll let you have some, but thank you. (laughs) We'll hope. Thanks again, Melissa. You've been awesome, and I'm excited to see what's next. Toodles. Thanks for listening to the Business of Baking podcast. You can find show notes, links, and other fun stuff for this and previous episodes at thebizofbaking.com. Until next time, may your oven stay evenly hot, your ganache never split, and may you always be in the business of being awesome.